reading for today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty Father, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit. For the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Well, to begin today, I'd like for you to join me on a journey down memory lane that I think will be both exhilarating and terrifying for you. I want you to go back to your youth. I want you to think about those exciting moments where everything came together and life was electric. Then I want you to go back to your youth and I want you to think about, uh, you know, go back to elementary school, junior high school, high school. If you went to college, go back to early college. And I want you to think about those moments that now seem trivial, seem like no big deal. But back then, you were absolutely devastated. You thought the world had come to an end. You thought you'd never recover. I would imagine if you took some time to do an inventory of those moments, that the major theme that would uh, arise between the two of them would be being on the inside or being on the outside, being included or being excluded, being in the inner circle or being on the outside looking in. The exciting moments may have been when you were invited to a birthday party or you got the call that you'd made the basketball team or some older students came to your first period class and they tapped you for an honor society or some guys showed up at your door and let you know that you'd gotten a bid. And then there were the devastating moments when you figured out that you were the only person who wasn't invited to the birthday party. Or when you went to go see who had made the dance team and your name was not on the list. Or prom night came, you didn't have a date. Or the much anticipated letter came in from the college and you would not be a part of the incoming class. Or when you put them number one on your list, they didn't have room for you in their top 50. Is there a lonelier feeling in the world than being on the outside? Well, in, in this arena, there seem to be two categories of people. There are the outsiders and there are the pseudo-insiders. For the outsiders, they were rarely included, rarely invited, hardly ever had a group of friends, never got a bed. And for the pseudo-insiders from the periphery, it looked like they were always invited, always included, always had a group of friends, always got a bed. But for the pseudo-insiders, there's this elusive inner circle that they never could find. And so whether you're an outsider or a pseudo-insider, everybody feels as if they are on the outside of something. Well, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul identifies an insider-outsider culture in the early church. 
And he describes the place of the true inner circle. And then he lays out a map into the inside. Now in the early church, the insiders were the Jewish Christians. And the outsiders were the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians were like the first-rate Christians. And the Gentile Christians were second class. Uh, the, the Jewish Christians were kind of the, the religious old money. And the Gentile Christians were kind of the nouveau riche or the bourgeoisie. And so in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul speaks of this Gentile sense of inadequacy. He says at the beginning of the passage, you Gentiles. So we know that he's talking to those who are on the outside. And even though they were in the church, the Gentile Christians still felt as if there was something lacking. They felt like they were on the outside. The Jewish Christians had the history. They had the background. God had revealed himself to them first. They had the law. They had the covenants. Jesus was one of them. And the Jewish Christians would refer to the Gentile Christians as the uncircumcision. This is a derisive term. And the Gentiles felt this. And the Gentiles felt a palpable sense of religious inferiority. Now, in writing to the Gentiles, Paul identifies two primary factors involved in the human mindset of working your way into the inside. He describes the circumcision group, which is the insider group. Uh, he, he characterizes them as made in the flesh by the hands. So in other words, he's saying that insider status depends on external appearances and human performance. The Jews had the right look. They wore the right things. They had the right pedigree. And they did the right things. Even though Jesus had invalidated some of the Old Testament law and Old Testament covenants, the Old Testament rituals, they still would practice the dietary laws and Sabbath rituals. And the Gentiles were tempted to do these things to try to work their way into the inside. They were encouraged and they were tempted at times to practice the dietary laws and the Sabbath rituals. And they were even tempted to go as far as to be circumcised to make themselves legit Christians. But here's the thing. No matter how they changed their look, no matter what they did, at the end of the day, it would never work because they would still be Gentile Christians. Now, Anglican theologian Ashley Knoll has been a chaplain for the Olympic Games for the past two decades. He's famous for saying that the loneliest day of any Olympian's life is the day after they win a medal. Because you see, the sponsors of the Olympic Games host these extravagant parties for the gold medals and for the silver winners and for the, and for the, the sorry, for the bronze winners and the silver winners and the gold winners. And he said the tone and tenor at the bronze party is always wondering about what's going on at the silver or the, the gold party. <laughs> and the tone and tenor at the silver party is the sense of discontentment that they're not at the gold party. And then believe it or not, he said at the gold party there's a hierarchy. They have different levels, different floors of parties. So if you want a less glamorous event like archery or water polo, you're going to be kicking it on the bottom floor. If you want a more prestigious event, like you won the mile or the two mile on track, you might make it to the sec second floor. But if you've won the sexiest of events, if you won the 100 meter dash in track or field, or you've won a gold in men's basketball, you're going to be in the upper room. And he said everyone at all the levels is wondering what's going on in the top room. And then he said, in the days after, even the gold medal winners in the top room have this sense of loneliness. Because their whole life they had thought that this medal would validate them. And it does not satisfy their need. 
Now, we would be kidding ourselves if we thought that this insider-outsider business ended for us in high school, right? We all know that we have medals that we like to wear, whether it is the bumper stickers we put on our cars or the pictures we post on Instagram, the degrees we put on our walls, the labels we have on our shoes or our jeans or our suits or our sunglasses. These are all medals that we tend to put on ourselves. I remember when I was in high school and my friend's family would take me skiing out west, I would always leave my uh, lift pass sticker on my jacket for a couple of weeks around school <laughs> so that everybody would know, hey look, Cameron went to Vail for spring break. And uh, I started to notice too when I was an adult that I would only wear my college ring when I was going into environments where I felt a little bit socially insecure. I'll, I'll let you know today I'm not wearing my college ring. I feel uh, completely comfortable with all of you. But Sometimes these things are innocent and nostalgic, but other times these medals that we wear are just our way of crying to ourselves or to other people or to God, look, I really am worthy. I really am adequate. I really am enough. And it's not just the medals that we wear. It's more often the medals that we lust after. If I could just get down to this weight. If I could just have a house in this place, if I could just finish that degree, if I were just married, if I just had kids, we tend to think that these things will validate us. The Apostle Paul writes to the Gentiles, and he says that your problem is not that you're on the outside. It has very little to do with your circumstances, and it has everything to do with your spiritual condition. And this is a valuable word both for Christians and for non-Christians, because very often we really do think that our problems are horizontal. They're in our circumstances, when in reality the foundation of most of our problems is in our spiritual life. It's in our relationship with God. So, so often we're trying to fix our problems horizontally, and we're not even addressing the root of our issues. But the Apostle Paul says to them that your problem above and beyond is your sin. Because of your sin, you were separated from God. Because of your sin, you were far away from the Lord. And because of your sin, you were on God's outside. But then Paul says, he writes to them, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, you are now in God's inner circle. And then he writes that Christ has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you were a first century Gentile Christian and you heard the term dividing wall, those words would have popped off the page of the letter that Paul wrote. Because you see in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a temple and then there was a first court and then there was a tall dividing wall and then there was an outer court. And on that dividing wall written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin so that it was abundantly clear, it said, no Gentiles allowed beyond this point. And what Paul says is that Jesus has demolished that dividing wall. And he has made the very presence of God accessible to anyone. And then Paul goes on to say that Christ has created a new man. So there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer rich or poor. There's no longer college grad or high school dropout. There's no longer gay or straight. There's no longer black or white. There's no longer Kia or Mercedes. There's no longer Walmart or Saks Fifth Avenue. Paul says that all of these things that we 
label ourselves with to validate ourselves, Jesus has completely washed away. And Jesus has created only two categories. There are those who have been reconciled to Christ and those who have not. Those who have been made righteous by the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and those who are still trying to manufacture their unrighteousness. What Paul is saying in this talk of being brought near, this talk of demolishing a dividing wall, this talk of being a new man, he is laying out the roadmap into the inside. And he is saying that it is by faith in the blood of Jesus. Finally, Paul identifies the location of the true, ultimate inner circle. There's a counselor who tells a story of an accomplished man who came to him. He'd accrued great wealth. He had many degrees. He was a, a legend in his industry. But along the way, he had all kinds of problems in his family life. and He was struggling with addiction. And the counselor asked him, he said, I want you to tell me, what is your deepest fantasy? What is your wildest dream? He said, well, I'd, I'd have to say my wildest dream would be sinking the winning putt at Augusta National and winning the Masters and everyone cheers for me as I'm walking off the green. Or maybe it would be winning the Lifetime Achievement Award at my, uh, at my trade organization. I'd go up on the stage and everyone claps for me. Or I don't know, maybe it would be throwing the winning touchdown pass for my childhood favorite NFL team and everyone's cheering as they carry me off the field. And the counselor said, do you notice that in your wildest dream, the people are far away. They're in the stands. They're on the crowd. I want you to come back in two weeks, and I want you to tell me what your wildest dream is that relates to intimacy. What is your wildest dream where the people are close? So the man came back two weeks later, and he said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what my wildest dream is, and I would pay a million dollars to have it. He said, my wildest dream is to play 18 holes of golf with my dad. And on the front nine, my dad tells me his life story, both the good and the bad. And on the back nine, I tell him my life story, both the good and the bad. And my dad listens to me. Paul writes in verse 18, For through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The location of the ultimate inner circle is the heart of the Father. To be on the inside means to be in the warm embrace of God the Father. And here's the amazing thing about God's inner circle. In the human inner circles, we're always trying to position and maneuver and work our way in. With God's inner circle, He wants us in the inside more than we even want to be there. How desperately does God want you in His inner circle? Notice in this text that Paul repeats the terms, in the flesh, by the blood of Jesus, and on the cross. God so desperately wants you in his inner circle that on the cross, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God ejects his son from his own inner circle in order to bring you near into his embrace. God so desperately wants you in his inner circle that he makes his son the ultimate outsider in order to make you the ultimate insider forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.